the big turn in the book of Mark. Up until now, uh, Mark has been showcasing Jesus and his power, this king who has come to restore all that's been uh, broken in our world. We see him healing, we see him teaching, even bringing people back from the dead. All of these wonderful things. And here comes this big turn in the gospel where he announces his intentions to walk to the cross and his intentions for his followers. So there's a big change coming today, and uh, we'll, we'll lean in that together. But before I dive into the reading, I want to open us in prayer, uh, praying for our time of teaching, uh, but also uh, praying for us as followers of Jesus in the world we find ourselves living in. So let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer now. Lord, before we come to your word, uh, we stop and acknowledge that we, uh, we need you uh, to be our guide and our teacher. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be mastered by your word and not seek to be masters of it ourselves. So God, we submit ourselves uh, to you and to your word. Please, please guide us and teach us. Uh, Lord, you, you know um, our hearts, our minds, uh, the condition of our souls as we come together today. Uh, as it's already been mentioned, uh, many of us come uh, probably um, very thankful and rejoicing because uh, of events of the week. Uh, others of us come grieving and, uh, and maybe even fearful because of events of the week. Uh, we recognize today that a lot of people around the world are grieving and fearful today. Uh, Lord, we think of those in the Middle East, um, Lord, uh, in Israel, uh, Palestine, the conflict that is happening there, and our hearts are heavy, Lord, at the loss of life, at the violence, and Lord, we pray that in your mercy you would bring it to a swift end. Uh, Lord, we pray for peace, for justice, for righteousness. Lord, we're mindful that um, in that area of the world, um, you yourselves walked. Um, your, your feet walked those streets, and uh, Lord, we, we know uh, you cried over the city, um, uh, wanting there to be peace. And Lord, there was no peace. And Lord, still today, uh, we, we don't see peace. So Lord, we pray uh, for your, your return. Lord, one day when you will again uh, walk this earth, and there will be an ultimate peace. And Lord, we look forward to that day. God, uh, as we um, uh, think about the events of the world, uh, Lord, we come now to your word. And God, I pray you give us eyes to see you for who you really are, and help us to know how you're calling us to live Lord, as your followers, we trust that um, your ways are good, they are right, and uh, they are transformative. So Lord, please lead us and guide us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that you are all uh, nicely settled, I'm going to invite you to stand back up. All right, and we're going to uh, read the scripture here. Uh, I am going to read Mark 8, uh, verse 27 through verse 38. After I read this, I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and you all can respond back, thanks be to God. This text will not be on the screen here today, so if you have a device or a Bible, feel free to follow along, or if you want to just listen, uh, let these words kind of sink down into your heart as I read them. And Jesus went on with his disciples onto the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside. And began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. Have a seat. Well, we're going to uh, first just kind of walk back through this text that I just read. We're just going to recap it and kind of unpack it. And then we're going to uh, ask a key question, one key question for the day. And that is, what do we learn about Jesus the King and what it means to follow him? All right, so a fairly kind of a straight up the middle run today is our, is our sermon for the morning. But first, let's kind of recap and unpack this text. Uh, we see this text begin with Jesus go with his disciples up to the village of Caesarea Philippi. Um, and, and while they are there, Jesus asks them, you know, who do people say that I am? Um, he's kind of curious because he's been doing a lot. Therefore, people have been talking a lot. And Mark has recapped in his uh, account, before this account, he, he's recapped all that Jesus has been doing. Uh, in the previous couple chapters, we see Jesus uh, doing things like healing the deaf. Uh, we see him healing uh, those that are blind. We see him uh, feeding, make, uh, providing bread for over 4,000 people. We see him doing these miraculous things. And remember that Mark is portraying Jesus as the king who has come to restore our world. And so we see him um, fixing what is wrong. Those that are deaf being able to now hear. Uh, those that are lame being able to walk. Those that are blind being able to see. He is restoring what has gone wrong. Now, these are not just random miracles that Jesus has been doing, and Mark is not um, just recounting um, just things that came to his mind about, about the things that Jesus did. Matter of fact, Jesus did way more things than are recounted in Scripture. At the very end of uh, the Gospel of John, it says, if we were to write down everything that Jesus did, the, the whole world could not contain all the writings. And, but Mark chose to put these things down. And the reason he chose to write about these events is because they are, in, they are telling us something. They are telling us about who Jesus is. You see, the Old Testament prophetic writings told of a day when God himself would come, and in that day, a lot of things would happen. Uh, Isaiah 35, the prophet wrote that uh, the, the deaf would hear, the blind would see. And so Mark is recounting these very things are happening. So when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Everyone has been seeing these healings and they're thinking about these Old Testament prophecies and wondering, is Jesus the king that was prophesied to come who would finally restore all that has gone wrong? So Peter answers, you know, some say you are a great prophet leading up to the Messiah. Some say Elijah himself. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And just as an aside, in one way or another, Jesus brings this question to all of us. All of us must decide who Jesus is in our lives. Now, is Jesus who he claims to be, or is he not? Jesus brings the question to Peter, and Peter famously says, you are the Christ. And now, uh, if you don't already know, uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, it's actually a term, a title. 
Uh, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means anointed one, anointed ruler. It means king. And so Peter is saying, you are the king that the Old Testament told us about. And I want to um, read you one of the scriptures that, that pointed us toward this coming king. In Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6, the prophet foretold this. He said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king, who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteous Savior. Now, Jesus... Um, hearers, they're considering these kind of words and thinking, is he actually the king? And Peter says, yes. He believes that he is. Now what is profound at this point is what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't say, you're right, Peter. This is exactly what I wanted you to do. Recognize this truth about who I am. And, and now let's, let's move on and just tell others that I, I'm the Christ. And we'll get others to also believe this truth. Jesus isn't content with this confession of faith from Peter. It's true, but, but it's not everything. See, Jesus now presses in because Jesus intends for his followers to do more than just recognize who he is. Matter of fact, the book of James later on says, even the demons believe this and shudder. And so Jesus is not content with people who merely recognize who he is. I fear that many churches are. That their mission is simply to get people to recognize who Jesus is, and then we move on to the next person. Do you believe who Jesus is? Jesus intends far more than just this confession of faith. So Jesus leans in, and he clarifies for Peter and his disciples what kind of king he is, what he came to do, and what it means to follow him. So Jesus moves on from Peter's big statement and begins to say that he, that Jesus, would one day be rejected, would suffer, would die and rise again. I mean, talk about a major like mood swing. I mean, Peter has this major confession of faith and he's probably expecting a, a, a very euphoric response from Jesus and Jesus goes on to talk about death. And so Peter thinks, man, uh, what's happening here? he takes Jesus aside and begins to correct Jesus. Says he rebuked him. He says, you know, Jesus, we got a good thing going here. You know, a lot of people are coming. Uh, they see your healings. They hear your teachings. Momentum is growing. I don't think talking about the cross, being rejected, suffering, dying, is going to be good for the business we started. This is going in the wrong direction. And so he begins to rebuke and correct Jesus. And Jesus responds pretty strongly to him. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I mean, just think about that. I mean, Peter is not coming to Jesus, talking to him about any kind of uh, big horrific sinful act, yet Jesus turns to him and refers to him as Satan. Uh, this is very instructive for me. That from God's point of view, Satan's main goal isn't getting us to do the horrible evils that we see in the news, though he is behind those too. Satan's goal is to dissuade people from the Jesus of the cross. Peter was very content with the Christ of the healings, the Christ of the provisions, the Christ of glory. 
but the Christ of the cross? And we see Jesus respond strongly to this uh, uh, wrong view from Peter. So Jesus then gathers everyone to him, and it's so important, he wants to teach them about what it really means to follow him. He calls everyone together, and he says that if anyone would come after me, if anyone will put their faith in me, if anyone will become my disciple, my apprentice, then they also must take up their cross and follow me. I mean, this message just keeps getting worse and worse for Jesus' followers. You're going to die? You're going to go to the cross? And now what are you saying for us? This was not going the direction Peter thought it was going. But Jesus is such good for us in these words. And that's what I wanted to lean into today. Two questions here. What do we learn about Jesus? And then what do we learn about following him? So what do we learn about Jesus? And what do we learn about following him? First, what do we learn about Jesus from this exchange? First, that Jesus is the king who planned to die. Um, this was not something that happened to Jesus, that he found himself as a victim of the, the religious leaders or of the Roman government. This was his intention. He, he's letting them know plainly up front this is why he came. Uh, Mark 8.31, let me read it for you again. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Uh, pretty clear, isn't it? And this is not a one-off statement by Jesus. Three times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus makes this clear announcement to his disciples that he came to be rejected, to go to a cross, to die, and rise again. Three times Mark records these exact kind of statements. So what does it tell us about Jesus and the kind of king he is that he came planning to die? Four things. First, simply, it means that he knew. He, he knew. He is sovereign. Uh, Jesus is a man, fully man, but he's fully God. He knew full well all that would happen to him. Um, he is in control of all that has taken place. I mean, just as he was sovereign over the healing of the blind man, those that were lame, the deaf, and the mute, he is sovereign over his own death. He knew. And I am so thankful that we have a king, a lord, a savior, a God um, who is over all. Uh, we're told in the scriptures that, uh, that the the Lord's throne rules over all. It is a throne of righteousness and justice. That Jesus is this king who is sovereign. He knew what was taking place. Uh, secondly, we realize that he's a king who chose this path. He chose this path. Uh, in another gospel, John 10, uh, verse 17, Jesus was recorded as saying, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. That Jesus came to give his life willingly. See, it's one thing if Jesus is just sovereign. If he knew, if he is over all, he is in control, um, that's great. But it's hard to truly love uh, an authority figure that is only powerful. But Jesus isn't only sovereign, only powerful. He is good. And the fact that he chose this path tells us about the goodness of his heart. I mean, I mean, we don't see this in earthly rulers. Most earthly rulers choose a path to protect themselves. 
to, to build up their own power, their own comfort. And Jesus comes and willingly lays it down. He is good that he is giving his life for others. Jesus knew uh, that he would die. He chose this path, chose to go to the cross. And thirdly, we see here that not only did he know and not only did he choose, but he must walk this path. Uh, did you notice there in, in, uh, in Mark 8.31 that it didn't just say um, that Jesus would suffer many things and, and would die or would be killed, but it said he must, he must now, in the book we've been uh, going through, Jesus the King, uh, Tim Keller makes a, a lot about this. It's very, very helpful. Now, understanding that Jesus must walk this path helps us to know why Jesus had to go to the cross. I mean, did you ever wonder that? Like, couldn't Jesus have picked another way? Like, like why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he just come and say, I forgive you all? Why not just come and say, I love you all? Why the cross? Well, Jesus is saying here, he must do this. And the reason being, and actually uh, Mark 10, 45, in, in a couple chapters later, Jesus explains this further, where he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. A ransom is a payment. Jesus has come to pay for sin. You see, Everyone is wondering, what is wrong with our world? What is wrong with us? And the answer of the scriptures is what the Bible calls sin. And what sin is, is our heart's misalignment with reality, with God, with who he is and his ways. That God is the creator of all things. He has declared what is right, what is good, and how we are to live. If humanity walked perfectly according to God's instructions, life would be excellent. But that is not how we have all lived. One way, shape, or form, we have all decided or tried to decide for ourselves what is right and what is good in life. We've lived life according to our own instructions rather than God's. That's sin. And the issue with sin is that it must be paid for. And we see this work itself out in life all the time. Um, Keller used an illustration in his book in this chapter where he said, if you were to come uh, to, a, house, to a, a friend's house, and you broke a lamp in your friend's house while you were there for dinner. Uh, your friend has a couple options. Your friend could say, uh, no biggie, I'll replace it. Or no biggie, I can do without it. Or your friend could say, that lamp cost me 100 bucks. I want you to pay for it. One way or another, somebody has to absorb the cost of what was broken. When something is broken, there is always a cost that somebody must absorb, either by actively paying or by going without. And sin is brokenness. And what happens in life is that we are always trying to make others pay. That for things to be made right, made whole, we need to make somebody pay. I mean, this is taking place right now in the Middle East. For things to be made whole, to be made right, we want to make others pay. And this cycle just continues. The cycle of our brokenness and trying to make others pay. And what Jesus has done is he's come and said, I will pay an ultimate price. And when there is an ultimate price that has been paid, we can begin to interact differently with one another. Jesus had to go to the cross. He must, because only he could pay for sin. Jesus knew 
Jesus chose. Jesus is the king who must go to the cross. And lastly, we see here that he is also the king who is stronger. He is stronger than death. Every time Jesus announced to his disciples that he would go to the cross, every time he also said, and three days later, I will rise. He always talks about the cross in connection with the resurrection. You know, I, I love um, the way that we get so many different pictures of Jesus through the Bible. And the Gospels are showing us Jesus as he uh, was walking on earth a couple thousand years ago. Revelation gives some pictures to how Jesus is now. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, the apostle John has a vision of Jesus in heaven. And it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys of death in the grave. See, Jesus didn't come just to endure death. He came to conquer death. That by going through death, he would trample on it. That way, all that follow him would have the same destiny. Death no longer being the end to be feared, but the doorway to eternal life. Uh, that's how uh, Every Moment Holy, a uh, book of liturgies, uh, describes uh, Jesus' victory. It says, the door that led to death has been remade by Christ into the door that opens into everlasting life. Jesus has conquered death, and he invites us to follow him in his resurrection. That is good news. What we must wrestle with is that that journey to resurrection life always goes through a cross. That was Jesus' message. The path to life goes through a cross. So let's consider Jesus' uh, instructions and invitations to his disciples. Now you might remember that the second week of this series, uh, we considered Jesus' call to his disciples. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we, we reframed that word disciple in, in the second week. We said the word disciple, sometimes in our day, gets lost. What, what does it really mean? Um, what it really means is apprentice. That Jesus was making apprentices people who would learn from him uh, how to live, that they learned under Jesus how to relate to others, how to relate to God, uh, how to be about his mission. They were learning from him. And here in this passage, Jesus is continuing his teaching to apprentices. He's talking about his own plans to go to the cross, and then he's talking about how they would live a life similar to his. They were apprenticed under him in his way of life. Um, Let's read together, oh, let's read uh, Mark 8, 34 to 35, where Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. I remember in college, this uh, verse had profound impact on my life. Um, I remember wrestling with it. What is Jesus really asking of me? What does this mean? Um, and for many college students, I mean, you have a real a lot of options in life in front of you. Which direction am I going to head? And anyone who reads these words honestly, I think it forces them 
to really wrestle with what is Jesus asking of me? So let's consider together, what does it mean to take up our cross? Because that's the invitation of Jesus, to take up our cross. We're going to consider three things here. Firstly, to take up our cross means that we let go of a self-determined identity. To to let go or to take up the cross means we we let go of a self-determined identity. Uh, The the ESV uh, study Bible in their uh, notes on this section says this, that self-denial means letting go of self-determination and replacing it with obedience to and dependence upon the Messiah. Uh, Let me read it again. I think it's profound. Self-denial means letting go of self-determination and replacing it with obedience to and dependence upon the Messiah. See, here's how life works. We are all building an identity out of something. You can't go through life without an identity. You have to have a sense of who you are and what is meaningful in life. So every human being has to derive an identity from something. And because of sin, because we have all gone astray from God and His purposes, we are all trying to construct an identity over our our own sense of what is right and good. We are trusting self for our identity. And this happens in a lot of different ways. I mean, commonly in our culture, we construct identities through achievement. Um, For some, it's academics. If I can be a success at academics, uh, that makes me have a real sense of self-worth. This is who I am. I'm a good student. I'm heading to a good college. Um, I'm going to head out of college and continue to achieve. It's an identity out of our academic achievement. Or for others, it's the career. I mean, probably we see this most commonly. If you're asked, you know, who are you? We often respond with a vocation. You know, I'm an electrician, I'm an attorney, I'm a doctor. We make an identity out of our career path. Or for others, it's maybe sports. You know who I am? I'm an athlete. I'm a basketball player. I'm a runner. Uh, There's an identity that is being formed there. Not just I do those things, I am those things. For others, it's possessions. That our sense of self-worth comes from what we own and from the money that's in our bank. I'm, I'm a success in life, just look. For others, it may not be as much achievement in that way. It may actually be achievement more through relationship. That if, if I can have a good family, if I can be married, or if I have kids that are good and well-behaved, uh, then there's a sense of self-worth that comes from that. Identity can be wrapped up in being a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a, a friend. See, all of these things are ways that we can try to build an identity in life, a self-determined identity. And what Jesus is saying here is that to follow him, we must let go of all those other ways of building an identity. For a follower of Jesus, their identity is found in their relationship to him. It trumps all other ways we try to find an identity. And this runs so counter to our culture today, doesn't it? Uh, Where it's commonly accepted that life is about the pursuit of our happiness as we define it. That is just commonly thought in our culture to be what life's about, that we are to pursue the things that make us happy as we define that path. 
And Jesus is saying, that path actually doesn't lead to life. That path leads to death. That what life is about is receiving an identity from Jesus Christ that actually frees us. But it sure looks like taking up a cross because we are dying to all the other ways that we build a sense of self. See, Jesus um, calls us to let go of self-determination for two reasons. First, it's wrong. I mean, we are created as people in the image of God. We didn't create ourselves. We were created. And, and therefore, um, when we are trying to be self-determined people, we're kind of going against God and his, his way of, of making life. So it's wrong, but even more than that, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work to try to have a sense of self built through achievement, built through academics, built through career, built through family, built through relationships. See, here's the problem. At some point, at some point in life, those things will let us down. At some point, work doesn't go well. We get fired. We, get, we don't get the promotion we want. At some point, um, a person lets us down. At some point, we run into financial difficulty. At some point, the things that we build our life upon other than God all let us down. And what happens in that spot is we are actually left with a feeling of being lost. Not just sad, not just upset, but our identity is shaken if our identity has been rooted in those things. So Jesus invites us to build our identity on what cannot be shaken, ever, on something that has happened in Jesus Christ for us. So he is inviting his followers to let go of a self-determined identity. I'll just pause right here and give you just a, a minute to reflect here. What is it that you would be tempted to build your identity upon apart from Christ? We all have something. We, we all do. Uh, what, what is it for you? Is it the career path? Is it possessions? Is it family? What is your um, chosen path apart from Christ? It's good to recognize that because it's impossible to turn to Jesus unless we know what we're turning from. What is it that God would tell you to turn from to find your identity in him? Jesus calls us uh, to take up our cross in terms of not, no longer having a self-determined identity. Secondly, though, we are doing this not just for our own sake, we're doing this for the sake of Jesus and others. You see, self-denial by itself always makes people self-righteous. Self-denial by itself just makes people self-righteous. There are a lot of people who are pretty good at uh, looking like they are denying themselves. People who are incredibly frugal or very self-disciplined, and they sure look like they are people who are denying self very effectively. But if they're doing it for their own sake, then it just makes us self-righteous. We start looking at others and say, why can't you get it together? You know, why aren't you more responsible financially? What, what's wrong with your lack of willpower? Self-denial by itself always makes us self-righteous. So Jesus doesn't simply say, deny yourself. He says, for my sake and the gospel. He gives us a motivation, the only motivation, that will not lead us to self-righteousness. See, when Jesus is our identity, um, when we realize all that he has done for us, when we see him giving his life willingly for us on the cross, 
when we see him providing mercy and grace, when we see him leading us through all the trials of life, when we really see him actively demonstrating his love for us, then we have a source of love, a, a motivation that drives us in everything else in life. So instead of denying ourselves just to feel better about ourselves, we're, we're doing it for the sake of Jesus. And, and that changes everything. We take up our cross because he took up his cross for us. Um, we forgive our enemies because he forgave us. We are kind to those that curse us because he was kind to us. It, it changes the game when he is the one from whom we are deriving our identity and our love. So we do this for the sake of Jesus and the sake of others. And when we do this, we can pursue all those other things like career paths, um, relationships. Those all become avenues of blessing for others instead of avenues of a self-determined identity when we do it for Christ and others. Um, the last thing we see here is that Jesus has a pretty amazing promise. He doesn't just say, deny yourself, take up your cross, prove yourself to me through your self-discipline. Um, he says there's something to be gained here. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Will save it. There is life to be found. And I think that this can be read very differently. You could read this passage and think, oh no, Jesus is calling me to a cross. Oh no, he's calling me to give up the things that I really want in life. Oh no, what Jesus wants is for me to prove myself to him. And that would be to read this passage exactly wrong. See, Jesus is actually calling us into that which is truly life. He's not calling us to give up anything that won't last eternally. He is calling us to take hold of that which is truly life. You know, there was a famous uh, missionary, uh, Jim Elliott, um, who gave his life uh, in service uh, to Christ. And he famously said this, that he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Isn't that great? That what Jesus is calling us to give up are the stuff that actually is inhibiting us anyway, a self-determined kind of way of living. But when we take hold of Jesus and the gospel and begin to give of ourselves for others, we're actually taking hold of life. The way of the cross is the way of eternal life. Living for Christ and others is itself eternal life. Jesus isn't saying, if you do this, you'll eventually get all kinds of blessings. He's saying, if you live this way now, you will experience me in the life I have intended for you to live. You see, what he's talking about is simply love. I mean, to actually give yourself for the sake of someone else is what love looks like. And we all know that love is the most important thing in life. But the problem is, we all are faulty in our ability to love. We, we love for our own sake not Jesus. He has loved perfectly. He has given us his love though we don't deserve it. And as we receive from him his love, his life, it frees us up to be able to give in return to others. There is no better way to live than to live a life of love. And to live a life of love means that we are giving of ourselves, absorbing the hurts of others, laying down our uh, stranglehold on career, on possessions, on relationships, looking to give as we have been given. Friends, Jesus is inviting us 
to take up our cross, to let go of however we are building our identities apart from him. And he's inviting us to do this because we will find him on that path. And we'll find ourselves on that path. And we'll find love on that path. I look forward to walking this journey with you. Will you join me in prayer?